I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. And today we have a special guest with us, Mr. David A. L. Venable. Yes, thank you for having me. Yes, Big another fan. Dave, someone who has a good taste in names, has <laughs> joined us. And of course, as always, we have Crazy Hands Matthew. How are you doing, Crazy Hands? I'm doing fine. I, I still want to establish that no one has ever called me Crazy Hands except for Dave. That's and I want to just kind of try to nip that in the bud one more time before it becomes a thing that <laughs> becomes part of the show and audience starts associating it. Don't don't listen. Listen. Don't encourage him and don't if you go think up to that's Matt a thing. And you ask him for his autograph. Ask him to sign it as Crazy Hands. He will do it gladly. And Matt is and a man your of ass people. will pay for that, Dave. <laughs> if that happens, I'll be coming after you. Well, Matt. Last week we talked about the past. We talked about the things that define the decade. Yes. The tens and how I suppose that the tens were sort of marred by arrested development. Looking at the past, the rose-colored glasses. So we thought, as this is the first episode of the new decade, the, the roaring the roaring twenties with an AW, um, we would look we would look forward a little bit and we'd get, we get we like to get a little weird here on the on the Grindhouse podcast. We like to get a little, a little strange. And so I have forced both David and Matt, against their will, to watch the Banana Splits movie that apparently came out like six months ago. That's that right. I don't even know about. Yeah, we keep, we. I guess we're we're still a little early in the new decade to review a movie from the twenties. I don't know. I, hey, look, I don't know what's out yet. The, I imagine it would be pretty slim pickings, though. Listen, it's, it's either this or The Grudge. So oh, I figured yeah. this was probably the lesser of two shits. Well, I'm not sure about that. After having watched this, <laughs> if The Grudge is worse than this. Uh, then I, I feel really bad for anybody that paid to see it. Well, part of what inspired me to watch this movie was, look, we talk, we haven't talked much about the Star Wars, only in so much so that they suck. Well, the new one sucks, but um, in my humble opinion. But there was a quote from those movies that I thought was really important, and I think it should be the driving force behind movies that are made in this new decade we talked you know at the end of the episode we talked about like hey let's be innovative let's do new stuff let's move on you know move on from looking backwards so there's a quote from kylo ren in the new star wars series in the good movie the last jedi where he says let the past die kill it if you have to and so i can't think of a better movie that aims to kill the past than the banana splits movie yeah i guess so i and I'm and I want to I want to let you know too that I'm not I don't entirely blame you for making me waste the time that it took to watch this film. I did see that trailer and I thought, oh, they took that Banana Splits show from the '70s and they made it a horror film, and it looked kind of interesting. The, the trailer was better than the movie. It's one of those. Uh, absolutely. So, so yeah, I did have some interest in watching this film before you pitched it to me, but um, I think I'm gonna uh, have a little more discretion moving forward. I'm gonna be a little more careful with what I sit down to watch in the future. <laughs> Yeah, I had the uh, the sudden and devastating realization that um, this is the first movie that I've watched in uh, in 2020. No, no, I watched The Farewell, so that's, that's a good one. But the second movie I watched in 2020 is the Banana Splits movie. And that, that horrifying realization, because again, I came to L.A. and uh, watched this. That's 
that's disappointing, I think, um, a well, little bit. The one thing that the Grindhouse podcast aims to do is lower your expectations. <laughs> we like to set the bar pretty low, so there's only going up from here. That's true. You know, as we gear up some, for some excellent movies coming out in 2019, like a Tenet from from a Christopher Nolan, which you saw. Yeah, I just saw like, him like walking down the street. That's pretty cool. Uh, we should start off at Banana Spits. We can just, then just go up from there. It's, it, yeah, you have to start at zero, I think. Uh, you have to reach bottom before you can to see the top, I guess. So for those of you who don't know the premise of the banana split, well, maybe you don't even know what banana splits are in general. I think that's very likely. I think a so lot of people don't know what that is. was a Hanna-Barbera live action slash cartoon child's program in the 60s, 70s, somewhere in that range. Ran for two seasons. And... It, we so I watched some of the original episodes uh, after I watched the, the movie. It's weird. I, it, it's weird. It's weird in that way that a lot of children's programming was, was weird. Like in that era where you could tell that drugs played a part in the conception of these projects, like the Electric Company and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sid, Sid, what is it? Sid and Marty Croft? They had all those uh, HR puffin stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, weird things like that. They're, oh yeah. The very dr- drug induced, seemingly uh, trippy hippie shows for kids. Yeah, look, all for kids. Look. Yeah. All for kids. Like if you look at the the actual um, cost, it's people in like like think of like when you go to like theme parks and you see like the Mickey Mouse, you know, the people in the furry costumes. These were furries on screen. There's four of them. There was a lion, a dog, an elephant, and a monkey. And the dog looks angry. He's got like these dark gothic circles around his eyes. And then the, the monkey looks, he's got a permanent grin. So he looks stoned off his tits. You know, the, the, the elephant only honks. He looks like he's straight out of Phantasma. The whole thing is odd. So I, I can understand the, the idea behind whoever made the Banana Spence horror movie that they would take what is inherently kind of a strange, eerie kids show from the 60s and just lean into that and make it a horror movie so the whole premise is this kid who's a little too old to be liking this kid show wants to go for his birthday the whole cast is a whole bunch of tropes and the banana spits are not people in furry costumes but in fact animatronic robot killers and a lot of people die it's basically the, the sum well, of them, right? I mean, there's, oh, yeah, there's, there's a little more to it than that. It's is the, there though? The, yes, it's that because they've been doing the show since the '70s, and it's uh, there's some kind of mad scientist guy that works for the movie studio that created the banana splits, robots, <laughs> androids, whatever they are, and uh, they've Reference. done they've just been nothing but friendly, happy robots. It doesn't. I don't get the impression there's really been any problems, but the banana splits robots find out that their show is being canceled. And just wig out for some reason and start well, killing. Well, because they're programmed, adults. they're programmed to for that the show must go on. Yeah, I saw that. It, it did the whole Terminator show the red text that the robot right, sees, right. and there was like a line that said the show must go on because that's what programming languages look like. And yep. uh, yeah, I saw that little thing establishing. Oh, and it, it, I, man, I don't know. This movie was just so terrible. <laughs> I'm having a hard time even wanting well, to do this right now. It, listen, let's let's uh, let's start with the bad first. Okay, we're gonna end on a high note with this. So, about everything is bad about this movie. Here's my here's my biggest issue with it. Right, and I've I've talked about this before. I have a real issue when people try to intentionally make a bad movie. I don't think it works. There is this type of creative force in the movie industry that knows that B-movies are popular. 
or, or, or create cult followings. And they aim to make them, right? Intentionally make bad movies. The problem is, and the thing that they never seem to understand is nobody thought their movie was bad when they made it. You know, Tommy Wiseau thinks The Room is excellent. Right, yeah. Glenn Danzig thinks Veronica is amazing. You can see in every frame the heart, the passion, and the love behind every piece of bad dialogue, bad shot selection, cheesy graphics. You know, there's a reason why Ed Wood movies are so beloved because you know that it's the very best that this guy could do. I think it's I think it's actually it, it's why and the new season of a uh, mystery science theater um, they actually had a uh, what's the name of that uh, that mockbuster company um, oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah um, uh, the asylum they had an yeah. asylum movie oh, yeah. and those have after like post Sharknado they started to basically have like a tongue in cheek mindset and I think it's why like that episode of mystery science theater feels so strange is because. Um, every other episode is known for having that same kind of, you know, like these are bad be- and they're funny because of the ironic, uh, the ironic, you know, these people thought it was brilliant and it ended up being a disaster. Whereas, you know, the asylum doesn't care. They just were like, this is going to get purchased by, you know, grandparents who think this is Pacific Rim, but it's obviously not. It's Atlantic Rim. It, it is. Yeah. I, I didn't get the impression that the uh, Atlantic Rim movie that they knew they were making a bad movie. I, I, I get like, sometimes when I watch films like that, I think that everybody on the set knows they're making a bad movie. Most of the cast yeah, knows they're making a bad movie, but the, the people in charge are true believers that think they're, yeah, ours is just as good. We can do also, it. Also, also, also true. And so I got the impression that these filmmakers were trying to make a so bad. It's good movie. I mean, it's very low budget. I, I didn't get that and impression, actually. Really? Yeah. I well, it's just, they they self described it as a, co- a horror comedy. Yeah. It's not actually funny. The only thing that's funny is that it's bad. There's no real humor in it. So therein lies me thinking, like, well, first off, I don't know how they got the the IP of Banana Splits. It must be very cheap. I it, would it imagine. It must be yeah, clearly I, bottom basement. I think so. They shot this in South Africa. Um, no cast to speak of. Pretty bad dialogue. The effects are fine. They're very cheap. They're very low budget, cheesy, like schlocky horror movie. So I guess that's kind of funny. But even then, I didn't feel like they went as far as they really could have. I will say there is an epic animatronic on animatronic showdown. Yeah. Which was kind of fun. Kind of loved that. At that point, I think I I, I remember that scene. Um, uh, I remember, like, I described watching Cats of all things. Like, it was a there's a H.P. Lovecraft quote that's basically like your your mind uh, protects you from traumatic memories, essentially, uh, so that you don't fall into madness. And um, I don't know if I would say I reached that level uh, with the Banana Splits movie, but I definitely do not remember details towards the end of it because I just was like. I, I think I was either zoning out or again my mind was just kind of like you don't need to see this. You don't need to remember this. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's it's not so much a traumatic thing. It's more like your mind just went, none of this is important or memorable. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, right. You just you found yourself experiencing a, an instant forget forgetfulness that comes with really really bad cinema. But not, and that's what's saying it's a, it's like a fine tuned line. Like there are some movies that are so bad you they're memorable because they're so bad. But yeah, I Cats. think this one is. Uh, I I was actually angry at this movie at parts. Like that's how. <laughs> 
messed up their direction was in their writing because for a horror comedy, a zany banana, what if the banana splits were a, a horror or monsters? Uh, th- some of the murders in the film were just downright disturbing. Like yeah. uh, psychic, uh, psychological manipulation, you know, saw, you know, like, like that kind of torture porn almost. Uh, well, it, and it would have been there's fine a part where they, was like, well, there's a part where they kill that one guy. He's like an Instagram fan or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. That and part was uh, he's way too long. He's, too. Yeah. And he's just proposed to his girlfriend. They're super happy. And then she has to watch him get cut in half while she screams. No, no, no. Uh, What's that? She's she's forced to cut him in half. Like the the animatronic guy grabs her hands oh. and forces her to do it. I, I didn't like. I, didn't, so I thought he was more, just holding on to her so she didn't get away. I didn't. But yeah, no. She, it was she forces she forces or he uh it forces her to like do the action herself, which is even more of a saw type, you know, yeah. torture porn thing. It was so this it was where bizarre. I, where did that come from? How did they justify I, that? I mean, why I, why would I, the machine suddenly? be so cruel that he's like oh i've just figured out that these two humans are in love so i'm gonna not kill both of them but i'm gonna torment the maybe i don't know (laughs) i don't know man weird is awesome we like weird but this is where like and this is where like i think a movie like tusk doesn't get enough credit tusk again tusk listen (laughs) (laughs) tusk leaned in to its zaniness and weirdness in a way that makes sense Right, you're building to this epic moment of walrus on rawest crime, and <laughs> while while um, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk plays overhead, I mean, the, yeah. you you build to this absurdist moment in every in, in every way, in shape, and form to this crescendo of weird. This movie doesn't really do that, and it could have, right? Like this movie could have built to this. I mean, I, what, what's the climax of the movie? That the, the the animatronic on animatronic fight, right? It's very similar. Yeah, I guess and, so. And if that's what you're, and if that's what you're building towards, like really build towards that and just own your. There was, I mean, there was a few moments that own the weirdness, like the torch scene. There's a dad who's like a dadager, and he's trying to get his, <laughs> yeah. he's trying to get his daughter like on the show, and then he walks in, and one of the banana splits just like torches his face for like. 45 seconds which and he's a, and he it, lived it's, it's for not, like another it's, 5 minutes it's not like it uses a torch it has like a hairspray can and a and a cigar it pulls and, a, it pours it pulls a Rorschach from like Watchmen basically yes where it's like homemade guerrilla warfare but i mean i i i know that horror films aren't known for their realism but if someone takes a hairspray can and kind of does the flame thing at your face you you jump back and go, ah, shit, my face. You, you don't just stand no. there and catch on fire. No, sir. <laughs> this man, for 45 seconds, stood there screaming. Yeah, like, stop while it. The no. flame he, while bad CGI flame hits his face. Yeah. And then he lived. His eyes are fine, too. That's what That's yeah. what I was bothered by. Is that, like, he could see perfectly well after that. Oh, yeah. He was totally fine. He's a little, yeah. It's just a flesh wound. He's kind of got like a Freddy... Uh, or, yeah, uh, uh, Freddy Krueger kind of look going on afterwards. But, like... Yeah. I liked him like better t- after that scene. I'll tell you that his character. <laughs> well, that's yeah, a little you more know, like all the characters, that. all the characters were such bad tropes. You had like the cheating stepdad and the, the annoying dadager and the annoying. What's, I think you're supposed that? to not dadager. What is it? Oh, like a it's like a dad who's a manager. There's also a momager. Oh, okay. I think they called him a stage dad in that film. Yeah, yeah. that's the, yeah. Yeah, because he's got he's got a little daughter and he knows that she's going to get her big break on the banana splits. And that was another thing too, uh, as far as. 
suspension of disbelief as this film goes. It expected us to uh, just accept that the in this world, the banana splits were this cultural phenomenon, like that uh, everyone loved, and 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 not. It doesn't times. take place in the seventies. That's the other thing. The film. No, it's no. not like it takes place in the seventies. It's like the banana splits has somehow been on for decades. And everybody cares about it still. Well, frankly, I'm sad that Banana Splits in real life did not last for decades. But look, if we can accept that uh, Tarantino can rewrite the Manson murders, why can't we accept that these young filmmakers could rewrite the Banana Splits history? Because they, they didn't do a good job at writing. That's, That's why we can't accept it, because they told a bad story. That, that, was that is also true. <laughs> but but here's... Okay, so we got the negativity out of the way, but, but here's where I do think they did something interesting. Again, execution notwithstanding. I thought the idea of taking a property that there is some familiarity with and subverting expectations could have been really fun and could have been an interesting way of taking something old and making it new again, which I think mainstream cinema sorely needs. You know, um, like I... I knew enough about the banana splits, and if I don't know about them specifically, I can recognize the type of child show, you know. Yeah. And you could have done a whole story about how, you know, if you if you live in the past, it will destroy you, and there, there could have been something interesting. There could have been something to be said there, using a child property, and having it be murderous. That would have been really relevant, I think, to today's sort of zeitgeist. What could they have done to fix this movie? What would have been a better way to write this film to where we're like okay with what we saw and or or, or even just what would, what could, what could they have done to fix it what would you have done i think they need to decide whether it was a serious film or if it was a true comedy and if it was a true comedy they needed to do it well i mean lots of lots of there's lots of great horror comedy out there like Shaun of the dead being at the top of the list of a, a movie that takes all the tropes from zombie films that were real burnt out by that point and Plays with them in a fun, interesting, kinetic way that was that was a, that made for a great film and, and launched a, a, not only a director's career but an actor's careers. I mean, it was great. It was like revitalized in some ways the zombie uh, genre from horror comedy. Right? We talked about uh, Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh-huh. Although I don't really see it's not very funny. It's actually quite sad in a lot of moments. But the, you know, there's lots of different ways that you could do that. This film didn't have that skill level. Like, I'd have been fine with it being funny and weird and even Tusk-esque. But it, did, it didn't have that. It wasn't, it wasn't quite up to snuff for that. Uh, I also didn't feel like it really had anything to say other than, like, wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah, right. So, uh, well, one of the changes I, I, I think I would have made, like, something that really bothered me about the film was that it had that really uh, generic and lazy effect that a lot of horror films have where uh, it's like, once the switch has been thrown and we now realize this is a horror film and there's an element of danger, they don't bother explaining it to any of the characters. They just know. Uh, for right. So, for example, uh, there's a part where a young man is assaulted by the, the monkey banana split. Uh, Bongo Bongo, I think, was his name. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Bongo Bongo has sort of bungee corded down from the rafters and grabbed her son and then back up into the rafters. And there's nothing in their experiences up until now 
to let them know that this is a dangerous act. This could just be part of the fun for all she knows. And she also doesn't know that they're robots yet, but she just runs right up there and grabs the bongo bongo, who she's still assuming is a man in a suit and pushes him off to his death. So basically it's like, this could just be part of the amusement and she has just killed a man because it wasn't explained to her. Uh, so I, I, that, that kind of stuff where um, characters would just know they were in danger. There's another part where um, the elephant one is in a little buggy and it chases a man through the parking lot. And it, same thing. He has no reason to know he's in danger. It's just a, one of the banana splits is in a buggy driving toward him and he just takes off running and screaming. And right. uh, you're going, what guys, I mean, how do you, did, did someone like send out a text to everyone? Like, Oh shit, they're killing people. Cause as far as I can tell, this is also a movie where people can be screaming in pain, like at the top of their lungs and then die. And seconds later, someone can walk into the room and have no idea that someone was just killed in there. So right. it's like, it, it kind of, it kind of has to try to have both. It's like where everybody knows they're in danger or people just have no idea of the danger at all, but it's either very obvious or I don't know, man. It just, uh, I think a little more care to uh, kind of get, get it out there like um to to uh, show people that the you know there's a reason for them to know the danger and to understand what's going on what, that would have been helpful i mean look there were so many plot holes in this movie i thought that jj abrams produced it uh, but you're <laughs> right this and this is where this is where i think that it felt like they just thought this will be so bad it's good right oh, the, the, oh the, 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 actually well you brought up Shaun of the dead that's i'm sorry that's just the, that's the kind of thing i'm talking about Shaun of the dead remember when they first see the zombies Right. And they're, they, think they think it's it. a drunk guy and they're laughing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this movie didn't really have anything like that. It was just like uh, people either knew they were total monsters or they, I, I mean, they tried it like they tried it with that scene where like the buggy is uh, it, like just randomly, you know, approaches the young boy and almost hits him. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, again, they don't explain it and they just kind of go like, that was weird anyway. Yeah. And like not not right. in a menacing way. And then like the other like there's this other gigantic plot hole where the young boy, like the aforementioned young boy just knows. However, like that one of them is he's like this one's different yeah and it's like they never explain that he's just sort of like this one's on our side well, it's, like, it's, it's his favorite yeah but like that doesn't mean shit like you know if it's like this one's my favorite therefore he likes me and will save us well and look yeah in, in exactly the hands of a, in the hands of a better filmmaker the moment where he he holds hands with the elephant right oh the the elephant would have ripped his hand off well no they they weren't something. killing we did find that out later they weren't killing children Right, yet, but they were capturing them. Capturing them, yeah. Right, which like that would have been an interesting plot point too. Like he holds his hand and then he just picks him up and carries him off. You know, something along those lines where he literally is just sort of like, you know, I am one of them too. Yeah. They're like, why would you assume otherwise? But 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 don't you think that they could have done something really fun where they're using something from your childhood and showing the dangers of holding on to it too long? Like, wouldn't that be super relevant, especially coming out of the last few years of like the endless amount of Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and Ghostbuster reboots and everything else. Like I saw people pinching for a remake of Jason Friday 13th, another one they want. And like, I just felt like you could have used this as an opportunity to sort of make some sort of commentary on the dangers of holding on to the past. I think a great example of a success, a successful version of that, you know, whether you enjoy it or not, 
um, is uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, what they did with 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, which, you know, started out as a teen melodrama uh, with like procedural elements. And they turned it into a, at times, surreal, very quick comedy uh, that was extremely, you know, uh, meta. I mean, you ended up having the original... um, the original 21 jump street team you know show up spoiler alert i suppose um but i just think that it's it, that was interesting and it was well executed because i think it really comes down to the fact that phil lord and chris miller have a vision for what they want to do what kind of comedy they make um what kind of writing style they have whereas this just seemed like it was you know a very cynical attempt at picking up a property that was cheap and uh, using a genre that's known to have an audience no matter what, you know, like uh, that's that's one thing that I've, I've learned is that, you know, uh, studios will look at horror and just say, like, even if it's even if it's, you know, not going to have much of an audience, it's cheap to make. And therefore we can like yeah, and they're not cheap to make. That's what things that's that's the thing that drives me crazy. I hate when people say, oh, horror movies are cheap to make. They're not two people at a coffee shop are t- talking is cheap to make. A horror movie requires blood effects, stunts, you know, makeup effects. I mean, there's there's a lot. If a, for a good horror movie, generally, there's quite a few physical elements that have to be created to make. And I don't even think that this film needed any more budget to be good. No. It just needed to have a real good message other than, dude, like... Those Banana Splits, splits movies were creepy. Let's make a horror movie about whether they kill people. Like... I can't imagine that there was any more thought behind it than that. It's also not an original thought. That's a thing, too. This was yeah. one of those instances of uh, filmmakers trying to take a uh, concept that was introduced in a video game and get it to film before anybody else has done it. What, what game is that? That's Five Nights at Freddy's. There's a game, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. It's actually, it's really good. It's really scary, actually, uh, because it's like, yeah, it a, I mean, it, it, it's like, jump scare kind of game but it's really fun but, okay, right. but the pre- the premise is that a, a security guard at a a kid's animatronic theater type place like a Chuck E. Cheese type place is um, working late at night and the, the uh, animatronics actually roam freely and uh, try to kill people and so he's he's got to try to stay alive and um, okay. there's like five of these games now they, they there's a VR version even I mean it's it's become I'm a, I wouldn't be surprised if a movie is in the works but it does seem like somebody in the studio got the idea that hey, my kid plays this game, or I played this game. Let's try to make a movie like this, and uh, but but let's use something. You know, maybe they wanted wanted to do Chuck E. Chuck Cheese, Cheese or something, and they couldn't get that. Yeah, so mind. they got Banana Splits instead. I don't know. Well, Banana Splits works a little bit better than Chuck E. Cheese in so much that the characters already look surreal in their physical appearance. Although I would oh. watch any Chuck, any movie about Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese has some terrifying ones, man. That, yeah, they do. That bird lady they, and that uh, that like bloodhound that's kind of looks like he drinks a lot. You know what I'm talking about? The uh, hound dog. Yeah, like he looks. He was Elvis impersonator? No, no, no. He's he's like a I think he's a bloodhound and he wears like a western shirt, but he looks like he drinks and oh, hits his yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know about that. He looks pretty rough, dude. That's, like he he looks like they're like they have an ash ashtray back there for him. Boy. It's all full of butts. Nah, man, and, he's just he, he's just into that country shit. Yeah, well, he's he's all about that cowboy shit. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, man. Life on the road as a struggling hound dog musician gets pretty rough. It has a lot of stress on you, and you get some dependencies, yeah. and you get you know a little short tempered sometimes, and you make some mistakes. Is all I'm saying. And well, if it is, weren't for Chuck and the bird lady pulling me out of this and giving me a job on 
going to Chuck E. Cheese stage. I don't know where I'd be. That's the hound dog talking. He's well, I, I kind of channeled him there a little bit. Is it going to be a recurring? Well, so that, <laughs> that brings up a good point. So like, okay, so we can all we can all agree that, that Banana Splits in general sort of doesn't work. But what are what are some weird – like that's a movie I'd probably watch. Like the 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 the, the life and time the, the dirty life of times yeah. of you know the Chuck E. Cheese hound dog <laughs> you know just like this down on his luck hound dog like he's like Chuck E. Cheese like they they probably grew up together you know yeah and so like Chuck E. Cheese like brings him along but like he's got a serious drug and like cocaine problem and it's uh, like a the wrestler but you know yeah but like <laughs> Darren Aronofsky's uh, yeah Darren Aronofsky's the Chuck E. Cheese hound dog like I'd watch that movie. I would too. That sounds brilliant. Yeah. What are some other like? What are some other weird concepts that that could be made? You know, like take the spirit of what Banana Spits could have been, but like good. Oh, uh, live action thing. Yeah, or? live action cartoon. See, you know, Pixar. I don't care. Yeah, uh, whatever. Just well, some weirdo idea. What have you? You sound like you have something in mind. You've well, I I I don't know. If this is weird per se, but I've always had this. I've always wanted to see a really grand, epic retelling of the fall of Lucifer, like Game of Thrones style. And maybe it's not a feature, maybe it's a series, but like I thought that you could do some really weird, like like let Grant Morrison write a script about the fall of Lucifer in the in the stylings of Game of Thrones or The Witcher, and I would be all about that because I think there's some real mythology that you could draw from, and it's you know it's it's familiar enough of a story that people would know it but like much like uh the bbc's dracula you, you probably ruffle a few feathers along the way i think that could be kind of cool you know kind of a dark eerie mystical telling of this rebellion and the heaven and hell so a, a dark version of the story of the devil I, man that is a uh... That's that is out there. That's like <laughs> banana splits as murderers. That's so far fetched. Uh, what don't don't you have anything that's like a franchise? I thought you were going to do like a franchise uh, or something similar, like in, in the tradition of this banana splits film. Hmm. I'll think about it. You guys go first. I personally like just while we've been sitting here, I was thinking that a um, kind of like a uh, not full on mumblecore, of course, but like a kind of mumblecore e indie film version of Doug. You know, like, like, like go to, you know, like him and his teenage years. So it's like kind of like a coming of age film. You're talking about Doug you know, and a cartoon from the 90s. Yeah. Like Doug funny, you know, because yeah. like he had that they had that kind of vibe. Like there was this whole era of like 90s cartoons where they had almost like an indie vibe, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, like Daria would be a good example of that, too. Like that would be a, another interesting one. Um, like, in fact, Daria might be a better example of like this kind of execution, you know, um, go for uh Go for something that you know they they uh, like like a early uh, Jason Reitman you know like might be interesting oh, but yeah? like go okay. a little bit more um, a little bit more uh, uh, mumbly and a little bit softer a little bit cheaper made you know uh, so it feels a little bit more warm and and uh, and welcoming. So m- mumblecore that term I when you said that I thought of mumble rap and like Doug with tattoos on his face and dreads and like, uh, like post Malone post Doug uh, yeah post. I don't know if post Malone is a mumble rap but um, yeah I was thinking right. of something kind of like that Young but uh, you you don't mean that obviously you what is mumblecore though I don't think I know that mumblecore is a is a indie film movement that kind of started in the um, and the early to mid two thousands from what I understand or even like I think there was like some proto mumblecore in the nineties. Uh, and it's uh, who are those 
Oh gosh, the Duplass brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were sort of the head of Mark Duplass, yeah, from uh, Always Sunny or uh, the League. Do you remember? Did you ever watch the League? No, but I know him from Creep. I've recommended that yes. horror, yeah, horror that's, movie on that's here a mumble before. horror. Yeah, Creep so is he, a mumblecore so film. Yeah, it's it's considered a mumble horror film, and horror it's horror. Baghead. Yeah, yeah, where it's it's essentially uh, cheaply made, like it's and it's focused more on dialogue and and story. It's kind of also like. Um, somewhat related to considered like a successor to like an American successor to like the dogma movement where it's, we're going to get this out there. We're going to get this uh, out as soon as possible. And we're going to do so um, uh, on as little a budget and focusing primarily on story and tone. And, but they focus on, you know, 20 to 30 somethings. They focus on, uh, on, um, you know, people coming of age. They, they focus on friendships and relationships so like I think something like that would work really well for a show that already kind of did that. You know, like Doug was dealing with him and talking to his friends and and Daria was dealing with her in high school, so same sort of vibe, but maybe show her in in college like early years of college which they did do a uh, a Daria like first year of college short um uh special. So I think that that would be, you know, perfect for that. Yeah, so like a kind of like Clerks, but it's the guys from Doug and yeah, are, and yeah. Are older. Well, Kevin Smith is Doug. Okay. No, no Mark Duplass is the Duplass brothers. Doug. Yeah, yeah. Can I can that. definitely see that. All right. What about you, Matt? Would it have all what the music you, in it and stuff like uh, the the show? Because the show that had some great music for a '90s kids yeah, cartoon. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that whole thing. Like, but, but with synthwave, but the yeah. synthwave version of all that kind of music. Yeah, I mean, or like super soft, you know, uh, airy, breathy indie stuff. You know, like. So you just take that same do do do, but slow it down to do do. Okay. Like Donna Del Rey, <laughs> Del Rey singing the Doug song. And so yeah. are the beats in it? You remember the beats? The band from Doug? Oh hell oh, yeah. yeah! So we're gonna Obviously. have the beats, or they're they're gonna be there. Yeah, so go punkers, all right? That would be like a perfect scene where they basically are. He's going to like a beats reunion show. Yes, uh, like that's a big deal. Is like, and maybe he's uh finally getting a date with like Patty Mayonnaise, but like they're they're reconnecting at like the beats reunion show or something. And then Patty Mayonnaise goes backstage. And, yeah, and find Doug finds out that uh, he's heartbroken. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like he like he hears it from that uh, that bully kid that always wore a leather jacket, Roger Claus. Yeah, yeah, so he tells him, "Yeah, I Patty Manning is backstage, that. man, with the beats." And and Doug doesn't know what to do, and so he starts his own band. This is good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, let's develop it. <laughs> what, if, uh, what if what if it was like a, you took the like remember the show Double Dare? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what if you took that and you made it like like Hunger Games style or Battle Royale style? <laughs> I like yeah. it. Okay. A bunch of kids are brought into Double Dare and you got Mark Summers. You got to bring Mark Summers back. But he's, he's playing sort of like a devilish type character. and or like, the, like Willy Wonka meets sort of like, a, I don't know, Robert Murdoch. And he just wants to terrorize these kids. And they've got to, they've got to do all these challenges in order to escape. You mean Rupert Murdoch? Like, yeah, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, I can I'm see that. Butchering names. That'd today. be good. That'd be good. Um, shit. Uh, I think if I was going to do something like that, it would be. Uh, do you guys remember the snorks? Yeah, they yeah. live under the water and they have little snorkels on their heads. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I think that would be that needs to get a uh, Lovecraftian touch. A uh, little like yes. remake. Yeah, I, I think that. that would be wicked, man. Like maybe we find out that the, uh, you know, it takes place in our world. The snorks cartoon does exist but like we find out it was canceled because the writer 
started writing this season that was like really dark and crazy where the Snorks take over the world and come to the surface and start killing people. And uh, we, we learned that the Snorks are based on nightmares that he's been having since he was a child. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so then like uh, we start, uh, whoever the heroes are, I don't know, some, some attractive college kid aged people probably uh, and, and a grizzled old detective or something. They have to start watching Snorks episode to get clues for how to, defeat the monsters that are returning from the deep yeah snorks was a premonition that everything lovecraft wrote was true this right i think this might work what do you guys what think if, that uh, what, right? what else yeah i like that what else is like something really really precious from like the 80s and 90s that people just hold super dear that we could just completely like slaughter and subvert for my generation i think you know a big one would be like rugrats or um uh, Did you ever see that theory that Rugrats is all like the dad? Yeah, like, the babies are all like all died, and like it's really like the dad has like a split personality disorder, and all the all the all the babies talking and all that's all in his head. That's yeah. why he's a toy inventor because he lost his kid, and he's invented this whole fantasy world that's really just all in his mind. I mean, if that if that's true, it would make a lot more sense for that scene where he's in the uh, there's there's this like scene that's become a meme. Where he's in the uh, kitchen and it's like, Stu, why are you in the kitchen at 3 a.m. making pudding? And he says, because I've lost control of my life, uh, which like I've always loved that. And it would make a lot more sense if he's just kind of, you know, in this deep, dark depression. But I feel like those fan theories are kind of proto examples of these reinventions, you know, like like um, uh, or even, you know, uh, memes based upon like these supposed lost episodes like the the. Uh, Squidward suicide thing. I don't know if either of you are aware of that. No. <laughs> it's it's it was like this whole like creepy pasta you know uh, online theory that like uh, there was a lost episode where uh, Squidward hung himself. Um, how, and how do you hang yourself underwater? Don't does I have yeah. That, well, well, they also have fires underwater well, in episodes. So true, true hangings break your neck. So if he. Uh, <laughs> You know, if he did it correctly and he like tied a rock to his feet so that he get the downward momentum to generate enough force to snap his neck, that, it's possible. That would just stretch him, man. He's a squid. He would just get a little That's stretched. True. Does do squids not have vertebrae? No, they're no, they're invertebrates. It's, that's so he would have to strangle himself then. I. I, I I don't I don't know. Listen, well, let's, we gotta break down the anatomy of this. Okay, uh, so, as a so, so this we have to explore. But my Lovecraft yeah. snorks, you're just like, yeah, it's cool, moving no, on. Totally fine with that. Yeah, okay. No, no, no. So wait, like, look. Okay, develop, so, so anyway, yes, let's get into the physics of Squidward's yeah. so, suicide. So he would. So if he has no vertebrae, then he has no neck to break. Therefore, he would have to strangle himself to death. So I suppose that if he had a heavy enough seashell or rock. That he tied to his other tentacles, and he dropped himself so that it stretched him. Okay, uh, and it cut off his airway, or his gills. Had to cut off his gills, so he couldn't breathe water. I'm unfamiliar with a squid anatomy. Yeah, we need uh, a listener who knows about squid anatomy to tell us how Squidworth could have hung himself. You, I, I am going to guess that he swallowed a bunch of pills, and he just did the hanging thing for effect. So it, when people found yeah. him, it had a little more significance. You know. Through, through it off yeah it was just like a visual what the the weirdest thing about all of this though is that or or uh the so a recent episode of spongebob actually made re like direct reference to this online phenomenon 
Like, there's an episode where they're opening these doors that apparently lead to some sort of... I, I have not watched Spongebob in, in a while, aside from reruns. Um, but um, they apparently, like, are opening these doors to alternate dimensions or whatever. And there's this famous image that's, again, like, rumored to be from the episode uh, of uh, Squidward just looking with his eyes just, like, bleeding uh, into the camera. And they open a door in this episode, and there's a very similar Squidward, and then they shut it immediately. So it's it's bizarre that even the creators, which makes sense because that show has been on the air long enough that people who grew up with these memes and grew up with, you know, these rumors, these creepypasta, whatever, um, are now making the show. So it makes complete sense. <laughs> right. I, I could well, see listen, that. I'm a big believer. I, I, like, I, I think it's totally fine to enjoy things that you liked as a kid, um, especially when they're done in innovative ways. But there is something to be said for, you know, you always, you always hear people talk about like, you know, so-and-so ruined my childhood. They've ruined this movie and I can't enjoy it anymore. And it's like, well... Your childhood's over, first yeah, of all. Yeah, your like... childhood's over. Kill the past. Let it die. You know? Kill Squidworth. That's what we're all about on this show. Hanging squids. I thought of a... <laughs> I thought of another. I thought of another creepy idea. Right, what you got? Something really precious. Can really pre- so, a, a property that's a very precious for, to a lot of people, and that is Star Wars. Okay, hear my pitch. You start to make a new trilogy, all right. But instead of conceiving a plot or character de- development or motivation, you just take a bunch of Reddit posts, okay, and you let the Reddit posts dictate how you make the film, in a very Michael Bay style. And then you put it out there and you hope that the public likes it because you brought back some old characters, even if it makes no sense. Isn't that what they just did in the new one, essentially? Yes. <laughs> I can't think of any better way to kill the past than that movie. Um, did you hear there There was a chance in some alternate universe, if like the multiverse theory is true, the, uh, Lucas approached both... Um, David Lynch and David Cronenberg for uh, Return. Uh, really? Yeah. So, like, in this, there's a great video online. You should, everyone should definitely check it out of David Lynch talking about it. And he talks about how it's basically the entire meeting gave him a migraine. The idea of doing this just, he was like, I have no idea why you approached me. But in some alternate universe, there is David Lynch's Return of the Jedi and David Cronenberg's Return of the Jedi, which, can you imagine David Cronenberg's Jabba the Hutt? Like, Dude, I would love those films. I would too. Just be all all tumors, um, basically, just like a big yeah, essentially tumors. Like, yeah, just uh, long live the new Ita Wadu, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, just the, the bundle flies everywhere. Yeah. Huh. Well, with the past significantly dead, uh, what are what are some of the things that you're kind of looking forward to that are coming out in this next year? Oh, I don't know what's coming out. What, what are you looking forward to? Have you seen um, Nolan's Tenet trailer? No. Dude, it looks. I don't understand it. It looks weird, and I'm here for that. There's a there's also the new Dune movie. Yes, that's coming out. It's a Villeneuve, right? Yeah, yeah. He's I'm I'm really excited about that because so far he I mean uh, talk about picking up on a past property and and expanding upon it in a way that was respectful and uh, and and actually very good in my opinion was a 2049. So like him doing Dune, I'm very excited about, especially like. That cast is just stacked. I mean, it, I don't even know who's in it quite yet. Um, let me let me check really quick because it's it's amazing. Have you seen anything about the new Dune map? 
I know you're a big Dune fan. I've been trying to kind of stay uh, willfully ignorant about the new Dune project. I I probably will go see it, uh, but um, I I don't know. I don't know if it's something that really works as a film. It's it's a strange story, you know. It's it's uh, so I think it's something that they're going to want to give a happy ending to. I think it's something that it's going to be. I just don't know what to expect from Dune. I liked David Lynch's Dune. I liked the atmosphere of it and the the style. I liked the cast a lot. Uh, but yes. And the soundtrack. It was a, the 80s band Toto doing that soundtrack. And man, it works so well. But uh, as far as reviving that one and, and trying to make another film out of it, I don't know if I... I I'm, in, I'm in the place now where I'm more of a reader of the of Dune that I am a a fan of the film because when I was younger I really just knew the film and eventually I did get to the place after I read the book enough times where I understood why people were so upset about the film Uh, but but I'm fortunate that I came upon the film before the book so I I still like the film I just I, I there are certain really important themes in the book that were left out and I feel like it's sure. the main point Always. of the book in fact is kind of right. left out uh, do you think it's something that can be compressed into even like a three hour film I don't know like I'm saying it's it's hard because I don't think that the concepts in Dune I don't think that the way that the way they tell the story like the uh the concept of a, it's about a messiah essentially you know and right, right. I think our society still sees messiahs as a positive thing i think they that we are in a culture that looks for leaders and looks for special people to guide us and the point of this book is not necessarily that that's a bad thing but that there are serious consequences involved no matter who this person is because you know the the guy is a very special person he's uh like a superhero in a way and he he can see the future. He's really intelligent. He's he's got a great sense of justice, and he still starts one of the, the this horrible war that continues on. He still becomes a dictator. Uh, his his grandson becomes a literal god that becomes a right. dictator for thousands of years. I mean, it's so I I don't know if people are. I don't trust that the public is open enough to a story about the dangers of messiahs. That I, I don't trust the public is open enough to that that a studio would actually make a film that has that point because I don't think it would be, be popular. Well, I, I think that if anyone was to be um, given the benefit of doubt that they could tell that story, I think it would be the director who did Arrival and did Blade Runner 2049. And Prisoners, which I think deals a lot with that, you know, good intentions turns really dark and really... Uh... Uh, with, with horrific consequences. Um, I mean, look, it may not be popular. I don't expect it to be a success any more than Blade Runner 2049 was a success. It was actually a box office bomb, kind of, which is a shame because it's an excellent movie. Yeah. But I think that um, if anyone was to be given the benefit of the doubt that they could have the stroke within the within the you know the industry to to make an attempt at this, I think it'd be this guy. Now, again, it could fall short. You know, I think there's very few directors who are given that leash, but he's one of them right now. And I'm interested to see what he's able to do. And again, you know, it's kind of maybe this is in contrast to us saying, like, move on past these, you know, move on beyond these old properties. But I think to your point, Matt, fans of the books didn't necessarily get what they were hoping for 
from David Lynch's version. So maybe they will get it from this version. I'm not necessarily opposed to reimaginings, especially if the first attempt was a massive departure from the source material. Hmm. Yeah, I, it, I don't know. The, do you think that they'll bring the uh, the sound weapons back? That was something that uh, Lynch added. Do you remember that from the f- first film? They had these uh, yeah. guns that they spoke into, and it turned the words into uh, blasts that could blow things up. Uh, didn't make a lot of sense. Why not just use bullets? But um, right. they uh, they did. He did that because uh, essentially what he was not wanting to make was a martial arts film set in a desert, which right. is more like what the book the book is all about knife fighting and you know intense martial arts but it's it's not just that it's also psychological manipulation in a fight ways to talk to your opponent ways to move and, right. and act you know how so to you visualize how to, it yes and that's something too that how would you be able to express that in a film because you can watch Jackie Chan or uh Chuck Norris or whoever you know karate fighting and kicking ass and you can see that they're very fast and they're very skilled but how can you express that he's moving in a way to pretend that he's not having as much confidence as he does to get his opponent to attempt to uh, take the opening. And then the opponent is aware of this. So he's feigning left because he's really going to attack from the right, you know, <laughs> right, right, that right. kind of stuff, that kind of deep in the head of the fighters is so important to the book. Uh, or, or how can you express that as the woman is fighting the man, she shouts at him in a way that reminds him of how his mother used to scold him when he was three years old, which throws off his focus, you know, like that kind of stuff is, I don't know if it can make it to film and it's so important to the story. Right. I don't know. I don't know, but I do think that the themes of the dangers of messianic figures is pretty relevant in this sort of post Trump America where we where tribalism has an all time high and, we look for these figures to lead us, good and bad. There might be there might be a way to tell a story that is relevant to to, to right now. Well, maybe that would be better for your uh, story that you were talking about the uh, the Satan story, the devil. Yeah. Because uh, I can't think of a better champion out there for individual expression and uh, freedom, uh, individual freedom. Uh, that's the whole point of the devil and why he's such a such an antagonist to uh, religion is that he wants you to just do what you want. Uh, of course, with the, the religious view of it is that he tricks you into thinking you're doing what you want while you're actually doing what he wants. But since he doesn't right. exist, we know that that's not a danger. But yeah, maybe you you're... Uh, well, I don't know. That'd be a tough one to tell too because if you did tell a story like that where the devil was a hero... That also implies well, he that he exists. Be, so, well, I mean, look, I it's a fictional... Look, The Witcher doesn't exist. No, no. You know, but, Game of Thrones doesn't what I'm saying, exist. But, but, like, but if the devil exists, that changes everything. That's that's the thing. Because, like... Yeah. Well, like, I think you got to set this in, like, ye old times. Yeah. Right? Like, not contemporary. Like, you got to set it in the time of the rebellion so that, you know, humans are, are like, in their earliest, most primitive state. And, uh, you know, it's warring camps. And I always found it really fascinating with the mythology of, like, the devil and... Michael and all that was that, that the devil is called uh, the morning star, the light bringer, right? All but he's basically based on Prometheus uh, of Greek mythology. And Prometheus's whole thing was that he brought fire and or knowledge to humans on earth. So even within the context of how he's portrayed by religious folk, he's always been sort of the, the bringer of knowledge to people. Mm. David, you, you look like you're researching something. Have you found what you're looking for yet? 
Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, I wanted to. I, w- I was looking at films coming out in 2020 because uh, the ones that I knew of off the top of my head were all actually kind of disappointing. I, I like Nolan. Uh, what, I like Nolan when I watch his movies, um, but it's it's not you know one of my bigger. He's not one of my bigger influences or, or interests uh, for the most part. But um, uh, Paul Schrader's got something coming out this year that I and after First Reformed, I'm really excited to see what he does next. Um, uh, uh, Malik has got something. He's he's finally returned to actually writing his scripts because nice. that was a very dark era of him just kind of being like just kind of just kind of improvise. Uh, they were they were fine, um, but then um, uh, Scorsese's got a new one starring DiCaprio and De Niro, which I'm excited to see because those are his two biggest muses. So like having them in the same uh, in the same movie would be really interesting. I think the last that, the last time those two movie? worked together was uh, This Boy's Life. I think have they done anything since then? You guys know that one where I, I De Niro's so. uh, De Niro is DiCaprio's stepdad and he's very abusive. Have you, have you all not seen that film? I haven't I seen that. A fantastic so movie. Yeah, give it a watch sometime. It takes place in the sixties and it's uh, I, it's just a film about uh, cruel men and how they control and very cool movie. Here's one thing: How cool would it be if? Uh, Scorsese made his superhero movie with DiCaprio and De Niro. <laughs> yes, his what? his long-awaited superhero film. He's what? he's known to be such a fan. Like, are are you guys that? making you a prediction that? for the twenties that Scorsese will give in and go? Let me show you how it's done and make a yeah, yeah. and it'll be awesome. I think not only okay, what here's what my comic book is it going to be based on? Um, man, I would love Moon Knight, but That'd that's already good. that's already in the works. So uh, let's go with uh, what's something that's not been made yet. It's got to be R-rated. Yeah, it's got to be kind of R-rated. Plastic it's Man. It's got to be grittier. <laughs> no, I don't think it's Plastic Man. Let's go with. Um, hmm. Let's go with. Let's go with. Uh, Toad. Let's go with from Toad. X-Men. The bad guy from X-Men. Toad. Just just Toad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it's like Joker, and it's like in that same gritty font, just Toad. Yeah. That's all it's called. Do you, you remember uh, Matt? Maybe you remember like Manchester Black. I don't know what that is. No. So he was a character. I think Morrison created him. But he was a he was like this British punk rocker, and he was kind of like preacher in the in the way that I think I think if I remember correctly, and I'm sure someone's gonna correct me, he could speak and you could he kind of had like the, the voice of God, kind of in the same way as preacher. That I think that was his power. All right. He was a he was like a foe. He was like a foe to Superman. But I'd like to see. I'd like to see like Scorsese handle like some offshoot group, some small like Vertigo group. To have sort of dark powers, maybe he needs to do the new Constantine or Hellblazer. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think he would do that, but I don't know if he's ever, especially actually, now that I think about it, with his uh, religious o- uh, overtones and undertones um, in his films. You know, like that would be fascinating. But again, he's. I, I think that if you pitch that to him, he would just kind of look at you and just kind of walk away. <laughs> <laughs> you know what uh, comic books I want to see return to film in the twenties. Is the work of Daniel Close, man? Yeah, I want to see more of that stuff, more Ghost World and Art School Confidential. Oh, I mean, yeah. those were great yeah. films, and we haven't seen anything adapted to film of his in a long time. Well, I think what we really need more than anything, and I think this sort of will open the door for all these things that we're kind of hoping for, which is the return of the mid-level budgeted film. Yes, yes. Because in that world, you're able to take some pretty bold chances. I mean. We talked a few episodes back about Joker, right? Which is only a sixty-two million dollar film, and in this current age, that's pretty mid-level. Is it? I mean, but I, 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you're at, it used to be in the 90s, like $100 million was a big deal. Now these films are like $300 million. Yeah. Right? So when you consider that Joker was $62 million, pretty pretty small things considered. But I'd like to see these, like, 30 to $40 million films start to come out. Because then I think you could take some Super Bowl chances. It's not a huge risk. You know, give, give some of these actors that are, like, earning to do something, like, meaningful, an opportunity to maybe take a pay cut to do something more fun. I, that's I think that's that's what I'd like to see more of and and let studios take more risk with with less of a an investment. Well, I think there's a great chance of that because with streaming services funding films and the potential to give those films theatrical run if you want to, but also the uh, the knowledge that if if the risk uh, that you take doesn't produce something that's good for theaters, it might still be a hit in the streaming services. Uh, I think right. that, that that definitely softens the blow and, and, and it reduces the risk with that kind of filmmaking. And I think we will see it. I think we are already seeing it coming back. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff happening. Um, I could see because digital, dis- I mean, film distribution now for theaters is not as difficult as it used to be because it's all digital. So I, I could right. see that uh, films getting very limited theatrical runs. Uh, in in a lot of these cool little theaters around America, and uh, then just hopping over to Netflix next week, and that right. not being yeah. such a big issue because I think there are a lot of people that would still just love going to the theater and would like to see even the TV shows they watch in the theater. You know, I think it, it's yeah, going to cha- require that we kind of change the way we interpret what a theater is for. You know, it's not just for blockbusters and you see them in the theater because you have to wait so long before they come to the television, but like that you actually want a night out watching a film and having fun with a group of people. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think or we're going to see a return based. of that. I, I think we're starting to see a return of um, I, I would love to see, you know, A24 getting those $30 million budgets like, you know, studios like that are doing low budget movies that have uh, I mean, relatively, I mean, like, yeah, four to, you know, ten. But like um, low budget movies that have artistic value and interest, or even uh, Annapurna, uh, Plan B, these these companies who um, are taking risks. You know, I mean, something like The Lighthouse cost four million plus dollars, and um, is bizarre for you know for for what it was. Um, and it, it it did you know when you have like a four million dollar budget, it, it did pretty well considering. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that is, I, I'm hoping that something like that, you know, maybe they'll get more investors or they'll do exactly what you're talking about and, you know, sell the uh, the films to some company. I think they have an exclusive Amazon Prime deal, like where they actually do go directly to that. Um, but, you know, getting getting a little bit of a higher budget, I think would be absolutely phenomenal. And I'm hoping that streaming services, you know, actually do start doing... Um, more uh, productions that go to theaters. And I think that, you know, like uh, Amazon's uh, production company does a good job of that. And they actually downplay their involvement, I've noticed. Like, uh, mm. like uh, You Were Never Really Here, the Lynn Ramsey film. Um, right. That that was a, an Amazon picture, but like it was it was great. I mean, it, it, and it was something that, you know, played at Con and actually did very well there. She won Best Director and he won Best, uh, Phoenix won Best Actor there. Uh, no, best screenplay and best actor. Nice. But yeah, right. And and those films, you know, they're not hard to make their money back in the in the end result. You know, if you do it if you do it with foreign sales and incentive states, and there's a lot of different ways to sort of make up that money. And look, look, it doesn't have to be a huge blockbuster; it just has not to lose money. 
So um, let's let's kill the past of these huge blockbusters and tent poles and all of that. Let's 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 try to take more risk and get a little bit more weird with our with our films. Take take a bit more chances. Be a little bit more subversive with the things that we put out in in our mainstream theaters. And to carry on the theme of weirdness, do you want to do a, a mailbag question? Oh yes, I do. But I just remembered we uh, we never gave a Tusk rating to um, oh, the that's uh, right. Banana Splits movie, and we kind of all right. Uh, so, well, David, since you're our guest, would you like to go first? Zero through five, how many Tusk would you give the Banana Splits movie? Um, well, I actually i did I did review it, and I gave it one and a half. Uh, uh, I suppose it would. How does how does it, what's a star to tusk translation? How does that work? Is how it many direct? stars? How many stars do you have? One and a, I, I gave it one and a half stars out, out of five. Out of, out of five? Okay, yeah. yeah. So one and a half tusk. Yeah, yeah. A, a tusk and a sawed down tusk. Yeah, yeah. A baby tusk. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, how about you? Oh, uh, I'm going to give it two because they they were pretty legit with the gore effects, yeah. um, and I did like the Stevie character. The, uh, the the kind of man boy that's still on the show and just right, uh, right. hates his life and drinks backstage. I for some reason related to him. No, I didn't, no, I didn't relate to him. But but that that <laughs> guy like, was I fucking uh, know, man. that guy was really putting his heart and soul into it, man. He was like he really went for that role, and yeah. uh, um, so he seemed like the only one who yeah. Cared. So I'm yeah. like, hey, cool, man. That you you, you kind of helped me get through this, Stevie. And I'm yeah. so sorry that that lollipop got shoved down your throat, and you had such. That was a disturbing. Death. Yeah, he he probably had the most humiliating death of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, <laughs> he looked kind of like a toad in the end with his throat pouch all. Yeah, it was it was pretty gross. So th- those are more of the deaths that we needed, and because there were not more of those types of zany deaths, I'm going to go with the one and a half tusk as well. It only because. It, listen, the concept was interesting enough for me to watch, and me for me to force the two of you to watch, and that got the tusk. And the other half of the, the other half tusk was for some of the gore effects. <laughs> some were pretty bad. Some you could obviously tell was just a tube of blood on the other side of their mouth. Um, look, it, you know what part pissed me off, man? Like it was just like where I was just like, you know what? Uh, You're still thinking when about it. that producer's climbing out of the ball pit and the dog monster just like hits her in the head with a hammer, and they totally did the Negan uh, Walking Dead eye I, popping out. I, pop- I was like, shut up! You're yeah. not Negan. This isn't Walking Dead, man. Kiss my. I was like mad about that. Like for some reason that they that looked- they stole because it, it looked just like Glenn from Walking Dead. It was like the 100%. same injury. And but awkwardly te- pasted on. Like, yeah, it, was yeah, kind of, yeah. it was just kind of like they just kind of found that same prop and they're like, we'll just like slap it on. We don't need to apply any spirit gum or anything. <laughs> exactly. I, something rose up in me and I had this, how dare you even try to touch that? You don't have half the class of Walking Dead. You know, <laughs> I just had this moment where I was like, no, you don't get to do that. But yeah, so that part kind of pissed me off there. All right. Well, watch banana splits if you want i guess maybe it didn't inspire you to make something more interesting and with that we, let's go to a mailbag question questions from Macarets. george's st george asks i've been thinking about what consists of a siamese twin menage a trois like is it a menage a trois between biologically normative person and a set of conjoined twins or is it a biologically normative person with two sets of conjoined twins or is it something altogether different like a menage a trois between three sets of conjoined twins what do you think i'm thinking it's the first one but semantics can be confusing 
Well, first off, I need to preface this by saying that we here at the Grindhouse podcast don't censor questions. We like we, the audience has a voice, and we will read that audience voices as accurate as possible. That being said, Matt, do you want to try to? No, you know what, David, you're a guest on the host. Why don't you tackle <laughs> nice. this one first? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I appreciate the preface, uh, very much so. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where we have to like, I, I'm, I'm assuming the question is implying that does a, a conjoined twin, uh, a person with a conjoined twin, like, are they considered a singular entity in this instance? Is yes. that, yeah, I think that's really what they're kind of getting to. Well, I think that, you know, honestly, I think that that's kind of dehumanizing to both individuals because it's assuming that that one individual is not that it's one individual, whereas it's two people with distinct personalities and distinct uh, personas and, and they may share a, a body in some way, but it's it's two separate heads, two separate brains, you know, two separate or at least uh, in most cases, there are instances where um, there was an instance that I saw otherwise. But it's it's something that um, you know that's that's uh, that's implying the the lack of of personhood of one of those people. So I think that it would be one other person and the conjoined twins, and because it, it's essentially the same as you know one person with a set of twins did, did american horror story freak address this in any way did it didn't um sarah paulson play conjoined yeah. twins yeah she in was that the show one that, yeah two, but it was a it was a two-head they, situation were, right it was a two-head situation so they shared a body which leads to that a whole complicated brothery of questions when it comes to intercourse uh but i feel like this must have been addressed in some manner because like not to make light of this but you know, I don't know what other what direction we can go in this. What if one wants to have sex with someone and the other one doesn't? How does that work? I'm sure that's got to be a question that's been addressed. Uh, I think that's... Do you have to negotiate? I think that's a, a thing in... Um, God, I'm I'm mad... I'm pulling this I have from to, somewhere. I, I know I, this is... I, I'm mad that I have to acknowledge the existence of this movie, <laughs> but stuck on you... Uh, oh, what is that movie? What is it's stuck on you? Is Greg that, uh, Kinnear and Matt Damon. Yes. In a, in a, um, Matt Damon. Uh, in a... Uh, God, what is the name of the dude who just... Uh, Ferrari Brothers? Yeah, it, it's it's Oscar Oscar winner. Um, uh, one of the Farrelly's now. Peter uh, Farrelly, probably. Yeah. Um, which which I always, I always look at the Academy like this. Um, they don't believe that Orson Welles should have a uh, an Oscar... But they believe that Peter Farrelly should have a, an Oscar. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's great. But no, um, I think that they do cover that in that movie where basically they have a divider set up. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember watching that when I was really little. And even then being like, this is a dumb movie. Um, but they also show, you know, I think Matt Damon masturbating in a scene. And again, it's sort of like a, uh, I, I, I don't know why I remember this line. But he, like Greg Kinnear's character, goes like, "Could you please stop it?" He says, "I don't know what you're talking about." And he says, "Are you sure?" Um, it feels like there's a paint mixer on the other side of the bed right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, it's been a highbrow comedy. By yeah, the highbrow Brothers. comedy by Oscar winner Peter Farrelly. Well, Matt, what, what is your take oh, on this? Well, uh, George, you've sent this question that's probably for a doctor to an entertainment podcast. 
uh, hoping we can answer <laughs> it. Um, but uh, we can only answer it with other movies. Yeah, I guess so. Examples. So uh, apparently, uh, seek out a film called Stuck on You with Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. Is that what you said? Don't. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah and we then, want to answer, this answer question. your question. And um, even if it doesn't, uh, it might be the movie you deserve for asking this question to us. <laughs> so go for that. Yeah. That's right. I was going to bring up, sorry. I was going to bring a basket case, but that at least has sh- uh, like schlock value. Um, like, and again, like deserving stuck on you seems very appropriate. Did to you guys, did you guys ever see, this is not conjoined twins at all, but did you ever see that episode of Tales from the Crypt uh, that I think Danny DeVito is in? Yes. Where he dates, he's a con man who dates two twins uh, by presenting himself as twins, oh yep. yeah, you know, but 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 he's always but he's always on the road. So like, you know, it's like the Clark Kent Superman thing. Like, both twins are never there at the same time. One has a ponytail. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah like a clip-on ponytail. And like, they figure it out because he's he's like sunning, and like a, a piece of piece of his robe like kind of falls on him and leaves the su- the same, you know, um, non sunburned part. That they figure out so that they resolve this this quandary of who gets the boyfriend by cutting him right down the middle, as Solomon would say, and and sharing him as a halved person. I mean, it seems it seems a uh, seems very appropriate, not just for tales from the crypt, but so maybe uh, if you a ask good life lesson. If you ask questions about conjoined twins and you call it Siamese twins, you probably deserve the Danny DeVito fate. I don't know. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just. Well, I am what the passing film judgment, say. and George. You don't get to watch that cool episode of Tales from the Crypt, and you don't get to watch that awesome horror movie, Basket Case. You have to watch Stuck on You for punishment for asking us this question. If I find out you watch... And using an ableist that's right. I want to find out you watch one of the good movies, because we'll come after you, man. I, Film yeah. gulags for you. <laughs> yes. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you are an up-and-coming filmmaker. You have a short film that's uh, going to be sent out to festivals soon? Yes. Uh, it's called The Body. Um, fundraising is wrapping up in three days, but um, uh, I'm really excited uh, about it because we're we're hoping to submit it to some genre festivals. It's kind of uh, so I, I want to preface it by saying I, I shot it before I knew about the lighthouse. Like, okay, uh, but it's also shot in black and white and Academy ratio, and it's a period piece. Uh, but we actually we built a cabin in my backyard uh, out of like fence parts with removable walls, so we could get certain shot angles and nice. stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, Ingmar Bergman mixed with, um, with, mixed with a little bit of David Lynch mixed with a little bit of, uh, Robert Eggers. So, um, I'm really, I'm really happy with it. I'm really proud of it. And nice. I'm really excited to see, you know, and, and after the festival run, will there be, will it be available sort of like to the mass public or? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping. So, uh, the main festival that I'm shooting for is Fantastic Fest. Okay. Um, but it seems like most of the festivals are going to be around October, so that's probably when it's going to be made available online. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, they do have kind of like that strict rule at some festivals where if it's made available online prior to right. screening, then they won't accept it. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm uh, I'm really proud of it, and and I think that you know I'm, I'm hopeful for its festival run. So sweet, very cool. And and Matt, you uh, you've also been busy cheating on me. You appeared on the Grave Talk podcast to talk about the oh, Doom. Oh, I did. Yeah, and we had a, a lot of fun. And um, I, yeah, actually, yeah, I did. I'm on. I'm on another podcast this week uh, on the Grave Talk podcast. It's a horror podcast. 
uh, and we just kind of go through the plot of 2019's uh, Doom based on the video game Doom, and we just tear it apart. And uh, uh, on uh, Victor uh, no, it's uh, it's supposed to be based on the video game, but you wouldn't know it from this movie. Oh. Uh, but yeah, we just take it all apart, and we have a lot of fun just talking shit about what a terrible movie it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, check that out. Grave Talk Podcast. It's available all the places are. Our podcast is available, and uh, those guys are pretty funny. And yeah, we've had we've had Mark on the show before, uh, yeah. And so yeah, yeah we, they had me on theirs. You guys know. Well, it's okay, Matt. We we have an open relationship as far as podcasting <laughs> is concerned. So, very European. I'm in. De- in I'm, in, I'm in demand. Uh, I haven't people, been. They want to talk to yeah, me, man. <laughs> well, I understand. Listen, I get it. I I uh, I haven't been doing anything this week. I've been babysitting a toddler, so I'm glad that you two are very busy. Uh, I I'll be busy next week. But uh, thank you, David, again for coming on the show. It was My a pleasure. pleasure. Keep an eye out for your short. The body. The body. Probably next fall, and or if you're at some cool festivals, check that out. Support uh, up and coming and indie filmmakers, and check out Matt on the Grave Talk podcast talking about the awesome movie Doom. I'm sure it will be right up there with Banana Splits. And for the team and myself, we want to thank you guys and see you guys next week. Adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Pizza and Child Rat Casino Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast or listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.